You see, I kind of grew up in a home that wasn't considered normal. My parents, they worked for Hope Cottage. That's what it was called back in the day. Now it's Hope Community Resource. I grew up in a home where we took care of folks that were mentally and physically disabled. You see, one of these people, his name was John. One day, John came up to me, limping with his helmet on, grabbed my chest, and I ran as he fell back. I went to my mother and I said, Mom, this is what happened. And she gently explained to me in the way that she always did, John has epilepsy. That's what that was. And in my six-year-old mind, I didn't know what epilepsy was. I just knew that John fell. Nor did it change the fact that John was a part of our family. Everyone in our home was family. So it made no difference to me what you had, who you were, or how long you had what you had. It was normal to me. But what I did not account for is the day that I would witness the second time a seizure would come. Around the age of seven or eight years old, I had a seizure. I went from being the kid that could go outside, play, get dirty, eat bugs, and make forts in the forest, light fires, <laughs> to a kid who was taken away from his freedom. You see, I started to have to mind my mind. While my friends who I would play with did not have to mind their mind because their mind was just fine. Let me paint another picture of what that really means in this way. I would stare off into the distance and they thought I was looking at the sunset. But really, I was dazing out having a seizure. My mother would come up to me and she would say, Herbie, Herbie, are you okay? I'm going to throw up. I would throw up and pass out. My seizures progressed to grand mal seizures. And usually when you hear a se about seizures, you think, well, people pass out, they start to shake, they defecate on themselves and they pee on themselves. I've done it all. I've even bit my lip off and broke a tooth and much other things. We went to the doctors and the doctor had told me, well, by the time you're a teenager, if you grow out of these seizures, everything will be fine. So that was my mark. 13 is the first day that you can call yourself a teenager. So for me, I was on a mission. In the meantime, life goes on. By the time I was 10 years old, I was clin clinically diagnosed with epileptic seizures. By the time I was 11 years old, January 2nd, 1992, 7.30 a.m., I woke up, but my father was gone. He had passed away in his sleep from having a heart attack. So my seizures was first. My second was my father was gone. It was me and my mother and still looking for hope. But my dreams were deferred, like Langston Hughes says in his poetry. Because now I'm going into my teenage years. I want to get my driver's license. I want to go to prom. I want to date. And I want to travel. I want to do everything every teenager would want to do and more. But I was held back. People would tell me, well, you can't date our daughter because you have epilepsy. 
You can't go on the missions trip because you have epilepsy. You cannot work here because I, I had epilepsy. So my dreams were deferred, but we kept hope. You see, we found a neurologist who started to do the test on me. And soon, between the year of 2000 and 2005, I've had over a dozen procedures for brain surgery. You see, I went and they took me off my medication so that they would exhibit these seizures or see them for themselves. One particular time, my brother Tom came with me. And I woke up one day from having a seizure. And Tom was standing over me and his eyes were as red as red roses could be. And my first thought was, he smoked without me. <laughs> but as I looked a little closer, I saw there were tears. I said, Tom, what's wrong? He said, you died. I didn't die. No, you died. I didn't die. No, you died. I didn't see the lights. I didn't die. So then the doctor came in, Mr. Bynum. You died, and we had to bring you back. So I'm not sure if I'm excited that I lost the bet or didn't win it. But what I do know is I'm glad I'm here today. At any rate, time goes on. And I'm released from the hospital a few days later. And a few days after that, I get a phone call none of us want to get, but some of us in this very room has had at one point in your time. Hello? Mom's gone. I went downstairs and proceeded to weep and mourn bitterly, beating my freshly sutured head. The next morning, my friend said, we weren't sure if you were having a seizure again, but you were shaking violently. I pleaded, but I'm thankful that I didn't cave my skull in that night. At any rate, I returned home to bury my mother. And I started to look for answers again. The neurologist sent me back into the hospital, and in 2005, they took a portion of my brain. I have three quarters now. You see, what about today? I'm a case manager for Access Alaska. I work with people that primarily have traumatic brain injuries in some form of disability, whether seen or unseen. You see, I sit on both sides of the table in my community as a peer advocate and one who wants to make change and let people know that there is change possible. You see, I love what I get to do. It's my legacy. I started with it. I will die with it. And oh, you're probably wondering, so does he have seizures still? I'll tell you, I've had two since I've been standing here. The kind of seizures I have, you wouldn't see unless I told you. You see, my seizures, they come when they want to, but they don't leave when I ask. You see, I was born different, and I'm going to use my difference to continue to educate, to continue to advocate, and to continue to assimilate so all of us may understand what it's like living in a traumatic world being born different. Thank you.